Thanks. Okay, that was quite an introduction, so hopefully I don't disappoint everybody. Um, um, I am Michelle, if I don't know you. Um, I, there's some new faces, so a special welcome to you if you've come along with a friend. Um, I definitely do not feel any more qualified than any of you to do this talk. Um, so I am really grateful and humbled for the opportunity to share God's word with friends. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for each and every individual lady in this room, Lord. I thank you um, that we've been able to come here, share in food and fellowship, and now sit under your word, Lord. And so I pray that you will speak to us this morning. May these women hear your voice, not mine, Lord, and may you penetrate our hearts with your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Our Weakness, His Strength. That is the title of the talk today. The passage of scripture that we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 12. So if you could grab your Bibles or your phones and turn there, we'll read that. Two Corinthians 4, 7 to 12. <clears throat> Starting from verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. But we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So our weakness, his strength. I'm sure many of you have gathered from that title today that we will be talking about the concept of weakness. And so the first question I have for you is, what do you think of when you think of that concept of weakness? Do we think of just physical weakness or do we think of a more general type of weakness? Uh, when we think of the, con the concept of weakness today, many of the words that might jump into our heads are substandard, something that is deficient, something that is inferior. In comparison to something that is deemed strong, or the concept of strength, weakness is second rate, isn't it? Um, the universal truth is generally that weakness is bad and strength is good. Now, when we think of ourselves as individuals, and we think of the concept of being weak, it's not something we want, is it? It's something that we want to try to avoid. We don't want to be seen as weak. Uh, we would rather seek strength. Weakness is a hindrance to the status or the facade that we're trying to promote and that we want people to see in us. Strength is something we want people to see. We want them to see our abilities and our competencies. Uh, if we show our weakness, or if people become aware of our weakness, we feel less respected or less useful or less eligible for a task. So we do our best to hide our weaknesses as much as we can. And we see this, don't we, in, in society today. Just think of Instagram and social media. The obsession with posting perfect pictures of our perfect lives, right? It's everywhere. And it's subconscious, but it happens. You know, we take 20 photos of one thing, and then we take 10 minutes to scan through those 20 photos and find the best one. And then we take 15 minutes to find the best filter and make sure it looks good. 
And then we take 30 minutes to think of a catchy hashtag that's kind of funny but kind of intelligent as well. Um, and then we post it, and then every hour we check how many likes we've got, right? And then we get annoyed who didn't like us because she's my friend and why didn't she like my photo? And so, um, so we see it everywhere. We very rarely see posts of the dinner that we whipped up because we had nothing else in the cupboard, you know, carrot sticks, ham, hummus on a cracker, and it's a picnic plate. <laughs> That's what we call it in my house anyway. Um, or we don't see pictures of ourselves when we're exhausted and tired and run down and have no makeup on. You know, we're not ready to take a selfie in that moment, are we? Um, or we don't see pictures of a disagreement you might be happening with someone or a conflict, right? It would be very unnatural for me to be having a disagreement with Simon and in the heat of the moment to be really discussing it and to stop and go, wait, wait, just get my phone. I just want to take a video and put this on my Instagram story feed. Can you okay, say what you were saying, but just tilt your head? <laughs> you <know>? That just <laughs> wouldn't happen, would it? Um, and, you know, I'm generalizing here. <laughs> um, and it's not wrong to post on social media, and I definitely don't advocate for posting conflict on social media. Um, but you see the principle, don't you? We want to hide our weaknesses. We don't want to promote them. We want people to see our strengths. We want people to see the good things in our life. We want people to see that we are of worth and value because our weaknesses make us look substandard and unimpressive. And that's not what we want people to see. And this isn't a new phenomenon. It's not something that just arrived with social media. It's actually been there forever. And it was there in Corinth in this passage that we're looking at. So... Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church and at this time the concept of weakness as less was very evident. Uh, Corinth was an affluent and a prosperous city. It was a trade city with great commercial importance. It was responsible for the organization of the Isthmian Games which was a, rig a very big event that brought lots of visitors and tourists. Uh, it one underwent rapid gentrification and had a big building boom. The rich were very rich, the poor were very poor. And if you were a rich or wealthy person, you were perceived as self-made, aristocratic, entrepreneurial, and extremely successful. And if we're honest, that culture of Corinth is not that different from Sydney today. Uh, Corinth was a multicultural city. Sydney is a multicultural city with 220 different people from different countries. Uh, Corinth was a city of tourism. Sydney was rated the top tourist destination in Australia in 2015. And Corinth was an expensive and a wealthy city. And as we know, with Sydney house marking prices, we also are live in a very rich and affluent city. So the Corinth Church and Sovereign Grace Church today live and breathe the same culture, a very similar culture a culture of diversity, a stratified society, where wealth and status are sought. And there are really great things about our culture, but one thing that is clear of Corinth and of Sydney is that personal weakness is not something that people are marketing. Okay? Personal weakness is something that we conceal and hide. It's our natural instinct to do that. But the reality is that this perception of weakness that is so ingrained in the human psyche is completely contrary to God's perception of weakness. In fact, God completely flips that reality on its head. 
So in this passage today, Paul would have us see that our weaknesses, my weakness and your weakness, is actually vital to our Christian life. And if you can take home one line today, just one line, it would be that our weakness, the weakness we carry around with us, shows the greatness of Jesus. Okay? Our weakness shows the greatness of Jesus. So for those taking notes today, we have four main points. The first point is treasure in a jar of clay, followed by point two, the experience of weakness, point three, the purpose of weakness, and point four, our response to weakness. But first we'll start with treasure in a jar of clay. So let's start at verse seven. Paul is here in the second letter to the Corinthians and he says, verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we have this treasure. Now, the first question is, well, what is that treasure? What is, what is Paul referring to when he's talking about treasure here? The general definition of treasure is usually, usually something of great worth, something that is extremely precious, or something that is of immense value. So what is Paul talking about? What is this precious, worthy, immensely valuable thing that he is referring to? Well, to find our answer, we actually need to read the two verses that come before verse 7. So jump back to verse 5 with me, and I'll read from verse 5. Paul says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So, what is the treasure? The treasure is the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. The treasure is the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Really, the treasure is the gospel of Jesus itself. The treasure is the gospel that is the treasure but we've got to ask ourselves is the gospel treasure to us do we treat the gospel as treasure is the proclamation of jesus as lord something that is worthy and valuable and extremely precious to us i think sometimes and i know this in my own personal life we can become a bit desensitized to the concept of the gospel as treasure um, and we forget don't we? We forget that it is valuable and it is precious and it is of great worth. So how do we remind ourselves of the gospel being treasure? Well, Paul says that the knowledge of God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. So we need to go to Christ to remind ourselves of that treasure. We need to look to Jesus and to his gospel to remind us that God did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, Romans 8. That Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor so that in his poverty we would become rich. That Jesus came not to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for you, Mark 10. And that God made Jesus to be sin, he who knew no sin, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. And when you start reflecting on those verses, you start realizing this is treasure. This is amazing, right? And 
This treasure, verse 7 tells us, is in jars of clay. Now, this is where things start becoming a bit counterintuitive because, you see, jars of clay, also called earthen vessels or clay pots, they're not impressive. They're of little intrinsic value. They're inexpensive. They break really easily, and they were just commonplace in virtually every house in the ancient, ancient Middle East. So for us, think plastic, ordinary, average, run-of-the-mill, unexceptional. And there were many vessels in this day. They could be made of gold or silver or bronze or glass, and they could be encrusted with rubies and jewels and pearls. But God takes this treasure of the gospel, something immensely valuable, and he puts it not in a decorated strong vessel, but in a weak easily broken jar of clay and ladies we are the jar of clay everyone in this room we are weak easily broken vessels and God chooses to put his treasure the treasure of the gospel into us well why why would he do that that doesn't make sense right why would God choose to put a valuable treasure in a weak, broken jar of clay. So I was thinking about this, and imagine, I'm just thinking, imagine if someone gave me $1,000, okay? So a stack of cash, $1,000, that's what it was made up to be. And I took that and I thought, where can I put this to keep it safe? One place I wouldn't put it is one of those plastic containers that you get from any general takeaway shop, right? and carry it around in my plastic container because those things break right they're broke they're flimsy sometimes they can barely hold food in them and you only have to push them down a little bit and there's the top cracks and you know so on and so forth i just wouldn't trust that with my thousand dollars okay i'd be finding something else to put my thousand dollars in so why does god do that why does he put something of immense value into something that can so easily break well verse 7 tells us But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God puts his treasure, the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, into jars of clay, into us, our broken and weak selves, to show that the all-surpassing power is from him and not from us. There is no contrast more striking between the treasure and the greatness of divine glory and the jar of clay, the frailty and insignificance of human weakness. The treasure is in the jar of clay and what is of great and immense value is not the jar of clay on its own, it's the treasure. So think back to my $1,000. Okay, I've got $1,000. I didn't put it in a plastic container. And I thought this morning, I'm going to take that $1,000 and I'm going to give it to you, okay? Because out of the generosity of my heart, I just want to give it away. Um, So I drive to Woolworths. I grab one of those big packets of envelopes, you know, the the white ones, pull one out, put my $1,000 in it, seal it up, come here, take it out of my bag, and I see you and I say, here, I want to give this to you. I want you to have some treasure, $1,000. You get that envelope, you open it up, you pull out the $1,000, and you say, Oh my goodness, Michelle, this envelope is amazing. Look at this thing. Look at the tone of the whiteness and the way it's like sticky and ripped. And That makes no sense, does it? 
you've got a thousand dollars, wouldn't you? You'd be amazed with a thousand dollars. If I was giving you a thousand dollars, you wouldn't care if it came in an envelope or a bag or whatever it came in. You'd be amazed with a thousand dollars. You wouldn't be amazed with what it came in. You'd be amazed with the treasure. So that is what Paul is trying to illustrate here. The brilliance of the treasure is enhanced and magnified by the comparison with a common weak vessel in which it is placed. So we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure and a jar of clay. Divine power in human weakness. Two opposites. The treasure is abundant. Human weakness is deficient. Why? Because the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So, point one, treasure in a jar of clay. But I wonder if you're thinking, what does that look like? What does that look like in reality? We have a treasure in us. We are a jar of clay. What does that actually look like? Well, that moves us to point two, the experience of weakness. Now, at this point, I think it is important to just stop and talk about what we're referring to when we think of weakness, because that concept has quite a general um, annotation around it. The definition of weakness in the Bible is a general idea of deficiency or to lack. Biblically, We as humans, we as human women, by nature are weak because we are not God, okay? We lack the attributes that make God who he is. God is immutable. He is unchanging. God is infinite and limitless. He is omnipresent, which means he is not bound by time or space. He can be everywhere all at once. He is omnipotent, sovereign, and all-powerful. God is omniscient. He knows everything. His understanding is unsearchable. God is good. Goodness is his essence. Us, on the other hand, we change, don't we? We're inconsistent. We say one thing, but we do or feel another. We are confined by time and space. Our power is finite. Our sense of control is limited. We lack knowledge. We lack foresight. We can't tell you what will happen in the future. We are vulnerable. We experience hunger, fatigue, and illness. We lack, and we are deficient, and we are dependent because we are weak, okay? But in our human weakness, Romans 5 tells us that while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So God and all that he is, and all those attributes that we just described, he enters into our weakness. Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Isaiah 40.29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So, when we start thinking through these verses, it becomes obvious that weakness is not sin. Okay? Weakness is is a morally neutral concept. It is separate and distinct from sin. 
Weakness is part of the human condition and we must understand that distinction between weakness and sin because if we don't, we can fall into traps. One of those traps might be that we experience excessive shame because of a weakness and we miss out on God's healing power through that weakness. Another trap we might fall into is that we start to rationalise our sin. We mask our sin as a weakness where we really should be being pushed towards repentance and reconciliation. Okay, So we need to understand that weakness is not sin. And we need to avoid those traps. So how do we do that? How in our life do we see what is weakness and what is sin? One thing that you can remember is that weakness can lead to God. Sin always draws us away from God. 1 John 1 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But regardless of our confession and regardless of our purification, we still remain in our human form. We are still weak, we are still confined, finite, limited and vulnerable. So limitations and weakness are just part of being human. Our weaknesses are not sin and they do not, they do not keep us from being worthy of God's grace through purification. So weakness is not sin. Weakness is a morally neutral concept. But in saying that, in our weakness, we can be tempted to sin. Uh, Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So when I've reflected on this in my life, um, one of my weaknesses is that I really like to plan. I like to plan ahead so that I feel organized and productive and ready for what's going to happen. And if you know me well, you know that about me. Um, now, I know that this is not a sin because in my the way that I like to plan, I'm not trying to dishonor God in that. I'm not purposefully doing that. Um, the concept of planning appears throughout the Bible everywhere and God talks about how we can plan well with him. Uh, this weakness in me, the fact that I like to plan, comes from the fact that I lack. I lack God's attributes. I lack his omnipotence. I'm not all-powerful. And I lack his omniscience. I am not all-knowing. So because I am not all-powerful and I'm not all-knowing, somehow, for some reason, I like to plan. And this weakness, in this weakness of liking to plan, I have two options. I can be tempted to sin or I can draw near to God and depend on him. And in countless times where the fact that I like to plan has arisen, it has led me into sin because I have, it has resulted in a desperate need to be in control of a situation, to do all that I can in my human power to get control, and if I don't get control, to get frustrated and angry and bitter. And in my life, that is sin because that's a faith issue. I'm not trusting God with circumstances, and I think that I can make better decisions and I can have better outcomes. But the reality that I do like to plan can lead to dependence on God. I can give my plans over to him. So one of the Bible verses I live by is in Philippians 4, 6, which is do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will give you peace. And that's a mantra I live by because of that need to plan all the time. 
Now, this is just one experience of weakness and just one of many weaknesses that I do have. And Paul further explains this experience of weakness in verses 8 and 9. So cast your eyes to verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul knew that he was a jar of clay, and he knew that living was hard. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not exempt from tough times and we're not exempt from trials and we're not exempt from suffering. In fact, the Bible tells us that we will face trials of various kinds. And some of you might be walking through this right now. It may be a health crisis. It may be the loss of a loved one. It may be a difficulty in your career. It may be the betrayal of a friend or a spouse or a child. Perhaps it's a marriage that feels like cohabitation rather than a loving union. Or perhaps you're walking in uncertainty over a situation and a big decision that you're facing. We are weak jars of clay. No matter how much we try and cover our weakness to ensure people still think highly of us, no matter how much we try to cover our our ability and try to make things look like they're working and we have some sort of stability in our lives, we consistently find ourselves hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. But while we do go through feeling hard-pressed on every side, perplexed and confused and not knowing what to do, persecuted and excluded by friends and family, struck down and broken, the truth is we actually never are. Our very real experiences of being hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down only serves to show that on our own, we would be crushed. On our own, we would be driven to despair. On our own, we would be forsaken. And on our own, we may be destroyed. But because we have this treasure, because we have Jesus Christ, our experience of weakness becomes the very thing that God leverages to produce and display the amazing intricacies of his grace. Our weakness shows the greatness of Jesus. And that brings me to our third point. Our third point is the purpose of weakness. So, Paul has described the experience of weakness, and I'm sure many of us have felt the experience of weakness in our lives. But what is the purpose? What is the purpose of walking through weakness? The purpose is to show the greatness of Jesus. We are jars of clay. We have this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in us to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We may be experiencing pressure, perplexity, persecution, and pain, but we are not crushed, we are not in despair, we are not abandoned, and we are not destroyed. Why? Well, let's look to Paul. Paul's experience was, on the one hand, constantly given over to forces that could lead to his death every day. But on the other hand, he was in a continual state of being upheld and caused to triumph. Why was Paul experiencing these two realities? 
verse 10. Look to verse 10. It says, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed. So in Paul's life, he could show the greatness of Jesus. And if this is the purpose of Paul's weakness and the purpose of our weakness, to show that the greatness of Jesus, how can we possibly view weakness as a liability or as something to hide? The purpose of our weakness is to tell the world and tell each other how great Jesus is. And I don't know about you, but I want this. Like I'm aware I am weak and I want these weaknesses to show how great Jesus is. So how do we do that? How do we show how great Jesus is through our weakness? And this moves us to our last point, point four, our response to weakness. So we have this treasure in us to show that our inherent worth is not in our ability, but rather it's in our it's in God's ability through our weakness to show Jesus Christ's inherent worth. And that is why God chooses to pour himself into us. So what is our response? What is our response to this illustration and this reality? I think there are many ways that we as women can respond to this. Uh, one common way I think we may respond is marked by pride. Uh, we buy into the lie that strength is to be sought and that our ability and our capacity and our potential is where our worth lies. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're not sure what your weaknesses are or perhaps you're just thinking, you know what, I actually don't even have any weaknesses. Uh, you're all good. Um, you do love God. You genuinely love God. You just happen to be a highly competent woman as well. Another response might be uh, marked by condemnation. You are very aware of your weakness. You came here this morning and your weaknesses were with you. You're feeling downhearted, dejected and hopeless. You have nothing to bring to the table. Everything you do as a wife or a mother or a friend or a family member, you do a terrible job at. And as much as you try to do better, you're left feeling disappointed. You do love God. You genuinely do love God. But you lack joy and God is just bearing with you. Knowing that you are weak, do you respond with pride and self-sufficiency or with condemnation and self-pity? For me, I am personally tempted and inclined to be self-sufficient, self-dependent and self-sustaining. I am quick to lean on my own understanding in situations um, and not God's. And as I've been working through this, I've realized that is pride in my life and something that I need to repent of and work with God to be healed of. So what about you? Where, how do you respond? Well, I'd like you to just consider these questions. Do you live a life marked by prayer? Or would it be more befitting to say that your life is marked by prayerlessness? You're self-sufficient. You're too busy to pray. It, there's so many things going on in your day that you've got to get through. You just don't have the time to sit and talk to God. Or perhaps you're feeling condemned. You're too unworthy to pray. Why would God care about your situation? There's so many other problems in the world. He, can't, he doesn't have time to deal with my problems. Your grief and your sadness and your doubt cause you to be silent. 
if we are not women who pray, we are women who do not depend on God. Secondly, do you read God's word? Do you read your Bible? Is your life marked by daily communion with your Heavenly Father? Or is your relationship with him sporadic at best? You're self-sufficient. You're too time poor. There just isn't enough hours in the day. There's things to do. And if I don't do them, they won't get done. I'd love to read my Bible. I just don't have time. And by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Or perhaps you don't read your Bible because when you do, you're totally overwhelmed. You don't understand it. There's things you read that make you really uncomfortable. And you just don't have the capacity to get your head around it. If we are women who do not read God's word, we are women who do not depend on God. And if we are not depending on God, who are we depending on? Are we depending on ourselves and everything that comes with who we are? Are we depending on other people, other weak people? But perhaps your response is that of dependence. Perhaps you have this treasure and you love this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps you know you are a jar of clay and you embrace it. You depend on God because you know that when you depend on him, you receive peace. You are weak, but he is strong. That should be our response. So how can we be women who respond that way? How can we be women who depend on God? Well, I think there's three ways that we can be women who depend on God. And the first is to recognize that you are weak. And it starts with prayer. We need to repent of being too self-sufficient or too self-condemned to approach him. We need to acknowledge that we are weak and present those weaknesses to our Father because he loves us. Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So... Let God help you. He wants to help. Now, many of you know I have a three-year-old, Harlow, who does not want me to help her in anything. Um, And one of those things is getting dressed, which is fine, but it is a particular struggle. Uh, So in the morning, Harlow will go to get dressed, and I just watch on just watching, trying to be patient. And it's difficult for her, right? She gets a shirt and shirts are complicated because there's three holes and I don't know which one my head goes in and I'll just try this one and that one's too small. Okay, let's not worry about that. Let's put our pants on. These are too tight. Why are they tight? Why do girls have to always wear tights? Uh, Socks, unnecessary. We won't even bother with them. Shoes, okay, well, they're both the same so it doesn't matter which foot they go on. Um, And then I've got to put my foot into the hole and somehow get my toes to the end and my heel in the bottom and that's just too difficult. So the shoe goes flying across the floor and Harlow's in a ball of defeat, right? And the whole time she's saying, I don't want your help, I'm standing there saying, but I, I want to give you my help. I love giving you my help. And I think that's just a small glimpse of how God feels when he watches us struggle and wrestle with our weakness. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So ladies, we need to recognize that we are weak and we need to receive rest. Second way that we can move towards dependence on God is to share our weaknesses. Share our weaknesses with God through prayer, but also with one another. When you share your weakness, 
you destroy self-sufficiency and self-condemnation because you stop living your life defined by your own capabilities, but you realise that God can do far more than we ever ask or think. When we share our weakness, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves of our need for Jesus daily. And we invite loving accountability and biblical counsel into our life. We need to be sharing our weaknesses because so often distance alters perception. I recently watched a documentary of uh, these, these journalists and divers who were going to film the blue whale in its natural habitat. So they were in the Indian Ocean off the coast of Sri Lanka and the water looks beautiful, right? They're doing these big um, panoramic views of the water. It's blue, it's soft waves, the sun is gleaming on it. It just looks pristine. Anyway, the divers dive deeper and closer to the habitat of the whales and they come across this huge kilometre-wide mess of emulsified oil and debris and pollution and rubbish, and it's horrible. From afar, the ocean looked beautiful. It looked stunning. But once they got closer, they saw this mess that was there. And it's the same with us, isn't it? Distance so easily alters perception. But when we share our weaknesses with one another... We let our sisters in to see our brokenness and our cracks. And it helps us realise, actually, you know what? We all need Jesus. There's no one who's got it all together. We need to share our weaknesses with our friends, our growth groups, our life groups, so that we can see, we can receive encouragement and care and so that people can look at us and encourage us and say, yes, we are broken, but here are the evidence of graces in your life and that is the power, the all-surpassing power that is from God and not from you. Another reason that we need to share our weaknesses is because it enables us to reveal the life of Jesus to others. Before I became a believer in Christ, it was my understanding that I was weak that led me to want a relationship with him. And it's my understanding that I am weak that maintains that relationship and that constant receiving of his grace. Sharing our weakness Weaknesses is something that will astonish your unbelieving friends and family. Uh, because when you stop promoting your abilities and we stop promoting our talent and we stop promoting our competency and our capacity and our qualifications, that baffles people. That baffles the world because it's countercultural. Imagine if all your unbelieving friends and family could say about you, I don't really believe in the God that she talks about but I really love the way she lives because the God that she loves and talks about so much, she actually depends on. And that's amazing. Imagine they could say that about us. Okay, and the last one, the third way that we can be moving towards dependence on God is to speak truth to one another because we are so forgetful. We have this treasure, we are jars of clay, the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, but in our weakness, in our burdens, in our difficult circumstances and our trials, we do forget. In these times, we must speak truth to one another because when you're feeling weak and when you're feeling down, the world will say, you can do it. 
keep carrying on, things will get better, just hang in there. But God would say, do not lose heart. Though your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. And this light and momentary affliction that you're walking through is preparing for you an eternal weight beyond all comparison. And that is truth. That is what we need to be telling one another. So ladies, we must recognize that we are weak. We must share our weaknesses and we must speak truth to one another because our weaknesses show the greatness of Jesus. And it's such an amazing truth, isn't it? And as soon as we understand that truth, it will change everything. All of a sudden, that fact that God puts his treasure into you and into me shows us that God is not looking for women who can stand on their own two feet. God is not looking for women who are self-sufficient. Our weaknesses present no barrier to the purposes of God in your life. Our relationship with God is not predicated on our ability. It's predicated on his ability to be pleased with Jesus in us. God's all-surpassing power is made perfect in your weaknesses. Ladies, God wants you just as you are, a weak jar of clay so that he can place more of himself into you, all to show the greatness of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you would make us jars of clay, that you would use us and our weakness to show your all-surpassing power. Thank you for this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only this, Lord, but we thank you that you can sympathize with us in any weakness that we are walking through. Jesus, that you joined us fully in the human condition of weakness. So, Lord, we confess that we are weak. Help us to share our weaknesses with others and to speak truth to one another so that we may display your treasure and in all its divine brilliance. We thank you for your word and we thank you that you love us. Amen.